In the wrestling world, the people are represented by two separate but unequally important groups. The wrestlers and bookers, who literally do all the hard work, and the fans, who endlessly nitpick and overanalyze everything they do. These are their stories. Welcome to Raw and Order, the wrestling booking unit, the only wrestling podcast on the planet that took a two-week unplanned break for the holidays without any warning to our listeners. Nope. No I am your host, Detective Mark Sparks, not joined today by my partner in crime fighting, District Attorney Vincent K. Fabe. Unfortunately, he is uh, dealing with some family health issues that he has to deal with, so uh, thoughts go out to him and his family. Um, but I am joined by our brother from up north, RCMP JLB. What's going on, man? Happy New Year, everybody. Happy it is a new year. year. <laughs> That's it. It is a new year. Uh, different year, same COVID. So still practice your social distancing, wear those masks, wash those hands and that body. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a new year. What can I tell you? New Year's yeah. resolutions still count. I still haven't quit smoking, but uh, it, uh, it 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 shall happen, hopefully, sometime. New year, year, new you, right? I don't say that um, anymore. <laughs> before before we get into everything, I'd like to remind everyone that Raw and Order WBU is part of the Tatnisco Podcast Network. So once you're done listening to this, and of course, liking and sharing and subscribing, head on over to tatnisco.com and check out the other shows on the network. Oh. Do it. Wait. For this show, uh going to be kind of a break from the norm, although uh, the fact that we're back after two weeks of being gone with no warning uh, or all that stuff um, means everything's a break from the norm right now. Um, we apologize again for disappearing. We had a lot of things, of course, with Christmas and uh, Hanukkah for my some of my Jewish family and, and uh, New Year's and all that stuff going on. And then um, the aforementioned family health issues DA Fave was having to deal with um, and a bunch of other stuff and some audio issues that we were dealing with on the show. Um, so so just so everyone knows, we did do a review of TLC, uh, but we had some audio issues with the recording. Um, if you remember, we were trying a different way of recording things to hopefully improve the quality a bit, uh, but it was giving us a lot of weird problems, and um, because of that, I haven't been able to get the TLC review all finished. So that may someday come out as a um, lost episode uh, for people to listen to, uh, if I can ever get it all pieced back together properly. Um, but we apologize for that. And, you know, just unfortunately life came at us really hard over the holidays. So, but because it's a new year, I wanted to, uh, kind of focus this year on what happened over the past year in wrestling and what we hope to happen in the future in wrestling. Um, based, based on the timing of this though, we do have to start off with, one of the more recent sad events that happened in wrestling, and that, of course, was the uh, untimely passing of Brody Lee, uh, John Huber, formerly known as Luke uh, Harper. Harper. God, it's been so. This whole last two weeks have been 
like uh dealing with all this stuff and then uh finding out this and then seeing all of the the tributes to him and so this episode is going to be a little bit late to the tribute um market but uh we do want to talk a little bit about the passing of Brody lee and uh how shocking it was and how sad it was i mean he truly was i don't want to say a rising star because he already was a star but he was one of those people in WWE that uh, you could go back and listen to early episodes of this show. Uh, DFA and I talked a lot about how he was a talent that was being wasted in WWE, that uh, they really should have given him more. He'd been stuck with the Wyatt family and then the Bludgeon Brothers, and they never really gave him uh, a good like solo run. And then he was released last year and uh, ended up coming to AEW and shining and showing off all of the reasons that people like myself and DA Fabe and I'd never really talked to, I mean, because I think most of our conversations were before JLB joined our show, uh, but I'm sure JLB was probably in the Brody Lee fan club as well. Yeah, no, and, um, you know, this has to be one of the most, I mean, all deaths are shocking and, um, you know, surprising and, you know, just horrible for just the wrestling business in general. And we as wrestling fans um, have been accustomed to, unfortunately, hearing a lot of wrestlers die within a year. And it's almost, unfortunately, has become, in a weird way, somewhat um, normal um which is very bad to say but uh when i just heard this um passing of brody lee uh just it it caught me off guard completely in terms of the last time i could think of really being down um and shocked by such a such a story was maybe when eddie guerrero had passed mm-hmm. uh just because it was so sudden and not i don't mean to demean any other wrestler who has passed away this year or anything like that but just in terms of talking of uh the surprise of us as wrestling fans just not knowing anything you know we we had thought he was injured um we thought he was just playing an injury role and so it really hit all of us uh, really hard. And a lot of the, the wrestling community, a lot of wrestlers who have sent out uh, heartwarming messages on how great of a father this guy was to his kids and how great of a husband he was. And it was just, it, it really it really hit hard. And uh, yeah, just out of, out of nowhere and so sudden, it was, it was crazy. Yeah, that that was that was part of the shocking thing to it. Now, um, I I remember exactly where I was when I heard of this. And I think if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, that I texted you. I texted the podcast group message that we have, which is you and D.A. Fabe. As soon as I heard, I don't think you had heard yet either. Um, And then that. I, I don't mean to take credit, but I technically was the one that messaged you guys. No, I was on, I because I saw it on Twitter. Uh, AEW announced it, and I got receipts on this, my buddy. No, uh, that, that, that's fair. I, you're right, though, I think, because I had been working. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, two people messaged me and as I was working and I was on the phone and I, I both I, yeah it must have been you then because both of you uh, who messaged me had sent me the same thing and I was just speechless. I was December twenty sixth at seven thirty nine p.m. I was in a drive through for a uh, nearby a local restaurant chain, say local Midwest United States restaurant chain, um, and uh, waiting for my food and I opened up. Um, uh, Facebook or Twitter. It was Facebook, actually. Um, and there was just a post from All Elite Wrestling, R.I.P. Brody Lee, and the the talking about it. And I, all my comments to you was just simply, holy shit. Mm -hmm. um, and you responded, what? No. How? What? Right. And I said, yeah. no idea. Just announced, I can't even find a news article yet. And right. then you were able to find the news article uh, that went into the statement from uh, his wife saying that it was non-COVID related uh, lung problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so, but that's that's part of like, like you were saying, the surprise suddenness of it. Because as far as fans knew, he was selling a injury angle. His last match in AEW was, wasn't it the dog collar match with Cody? Yeah. Um, and, and it was planned for him to take some time off selling the viciousness of that, selling the injury of it, and then eventually he'll come back. And we now know that he he started showing signs of a lung problem uh, during that time and eventually got checked into the hospital and had spent, I mean, that was October. And so since October, he'd been in the hospital for this, but that they kept it quiet, uh, kept it private. And that a lot of people in AEW knew it, but somehow or another were able to keep it quiet enough that that no one outside knew, uh, which in and of itself is impressive. Um, but as yeah. a fan, to 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 go from he's alive and selling an injury to he's legitimately gone was really shocking and hit all of us hard. Um, and you you know I can't even tell you when. I have ever seen such an anonymity and respect from a company where this wasn't actually announced by someone else. Because mm -hmm. usually when we hear things like this, it's usually off the dirt sheets. Uh, a certain site had reported it. Um, but from it coming from the actual company and the organization and also his wife, yeah. uh, I, 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 and I don't want to, uh, I, I think this might be the first time mm -hmm. that this has actually ever happened where they had yeah. respectful, uh, and very few people knew too, you know, it was a tight niche circle. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the deal. Like I, you mentioned before, there were other people in the wrestling world who died this year, um, in terms of well-known, um, and, un and surprising um, probably the biggest one other than uh, Brody Lee was probably Shad Gaspar. Um, yeah. And that was shocking and and surprising. But there are a few things that, that differentiate. Number one, how we found out about it was through news sites. Um, and number two, Shad really hadn't been in the public eye as much. You know, that he wasn't an active wrestler on any of the active rosters. And that's not trying to demean him or any way. I'm just saying he wasn't on our TV every week. And so to that, hear about it, it didn't have the same sort of impact. 
Um, well, it, it does, though, because the fact of how he died, right? He died yeah. technically being a hero. Uh, he did. Getting his son Again. Uh, safety first. So yeah. not, you know. not trying to demean him in any way. I'm just mm-hmm. saying from a standpoint of a person who was on our TV at one point um, and then wasn't recently dying versus a person who was literally a star on our show currently suddenly dying hits different it just does right mm. and so that that's why i'm saying i'm not trying to demean his his death in any way shape or form right all of the deaths this year um all of the deaths this year period matter right all right. of the deaths this year period are tragic right the wrestling deaths this year are all tragic in some way but brody lee's hit different because he was in our eyes. He was, like I said, kind of an up-and-comer, even though he'd been around for a long time. He was he was getting his spot to shine. And he was he was absolutely um absolutely killing it, right? He was he was peak. Um and that's part of why why it hit so hard. Um there are other things that made it hit hard for me personally, right? And Shad Gaspar's hit hard for for a lot of these same reasons, or at least one of them specifically. Um, I have mentioned before that I'm a father. I've got a three-year-old. Shad Gaspar, like you said, died heroically saving his son. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we have to give a ton of credit and, and respect to him for, for doing that. I get that. Um, for me, Brody Lee hit for a lot of the same reasons. All of the talk about Brody Lee um, has been a lot around how dedicated of a father he how he would leave wrestling shows at midnight or one o'clock and instead of waiting to the next morning to take the first flight home he would get in a car and drive six hours home because he would rather he wanted to be home as absolutely soon as possible so he could see his wife and see his kids um his his wrestling name brody lee his son he named brody uh so that at wrestling as brody lee he had his son with him all the time um all of these things here hit me hard um now i'm gonna talk a little bit after this about the other deaths that happened i'm gonna uh, you know to give some respect to them but i did want to talk a little bit about because it's been a long time since we've had a tribute show for a wrestler um and the last one that i really remember a full tribute show for a wrestler was eddie guerrero now don't get me wrong there have been other shows where they paid tribute throughout the show, specifically recently Pat Patterson, you know. Uh, they had they had tributes during the show, but an entire show dedicated to tribute has been uh, a long time since the last one. AEW absolutely knocked it out of the park for a tribute show. I, I do not know if I've ever seen a better tribute show than AEW did. Yeah, that was on uh, something on another level. Uh, so... I want to give so much credit to Tony Khan uh, for how he handled this. Like I say, being ahead of the story, uh, letting the fans know so that they didn't see it on Entertainment Tonight, you know, or some random, like you say, a dirt sheet blog uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. So they were out on that. And then immediately, like basically immediately saying, hey, I know we had announced that this week's show was going to be part one of our new year's special 
Uh, but we're going to postpone that a week and we're going to do an entire show dedicated to Brody Lee. And uh, we're going to do it with his family involved, um, specifically his son Brody, Brody Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, his his younger son was there, but uh, young enough that I don't know how much of this really was setting into him yet. His mm-hmm. wife was there. But this show was so well done. Every single match was a tribute to Brody Lee in some way. And you could tell that the people there were legitimately honoring Brody Lee, that this wasn't performative, that this was like, I mean, Colt Cabana had tears in his eyes. When, I, his eyes were red from crying when he came out for his match. Um, his eyes, well, even at the beginning, yeah, when on the stage, um, so, doing 10 bell salute. Um, so yeah, to kind of go so, through the, so the thing, it started off with the 10 bell, which uh, to, before we get too much into the AEW, I know a lot of people uh, are frustrated with WWE for not doing a 10 bell salute uh, for Brody Lee, not doing more. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm one and, of them. And I'm frustrated at the same point. There's a part of me that kind of understands simply from the standpoint of they're having to walk a fine line because they did fire the guy earlier this year. Um, they, there's, a, there's a bit of a thing there where doing too much would see, be seen slightly exploited. I think they could have done a 10 bell at the beginning and, and then moved on and it would have been fine. But they decided to, to um, instead of doing a, a thing company-wise, they allowed their wrestlers to do small tributes throughout the show. Um, Alexa Bliss did the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, some of the people delivered the discus lariat. I know uh, Xavier Woods did. Um, Natalia is going Natalia did. to name uh, no. her maneuver uh, based off Brody Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the wrestlers did have armbands as well. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I, I do honestly get that. I, I just truly feel, you know, especially when you've had, you know, we just saw a week ago or two weeks prior, um, I'm talking about from that raw, two weeks prior, we, we had them do this video montage of Pat Patterson and it was on for a whole week of, and I get, you know, Pat Patterson has been there for quite some time, over 30 years. Um, and he's essentially was diehard with the business. I just, I, I expressed my opinions uh, that I really was not pleased. Neither was, um, what was his name? Brian Myers, I believe. He expressed that it wasn't mm-hmm. enough that was done. Um, and it's just, I, I just honestly feel if you've worked in a company you just you should at least by all means doing the least that you can do a 10 bell suit no and that's what i think i agree with that but at the same point i'm tempering my my anger because they're they're in a situation where they have to understand that if they'd done if they'd have gone all in on the brody lee tribute there would be blogs right now accusing them of being performative because if they cared so much about this guy, why did they fire him earlier this year? They cared so much about this guy, why didn't they use him when he was there? Right. So I, they were walking a tightrope, and so I don't want to focus too much on them because AE did all of the right things. So, like we said, first it started off with the ten bell salute. Uh, that the entire roster for AEW out 
on the the stage, including Brody Lee's wife and his two sons. Um, Brody Jr. was wearing a Dark Order mask, and I think there was um, reasons behind it that had to do more with allowing him to grieve without being very publicly crying, really. Because um, here's the deal. To, to uh, give a backstory about your friendly officer, Mark Smarts, here, uh, a little over two years ago, my own father died. I'm 43 years old, so I was 41 at the time. Um, I was actually 40. I turned 41 shortly after. But anyways, um, uh, I was 40 at the time when he died. I was a mess for weeks. Uh, an absolute mess. I cannot imagine what this eight-year-old boy is going through, right? Um, to lose your father is one of the worst things that happens to a person, and the unfortunate, the kind of cruel irony of this world is most of us will have to deal with it at some point in our lives. It's just hopefully dealing with it a lot later in our lives. The lot later in our lives that's possible, the better. So I'm watching this, and... Um, my wife, I'd already warned her, uh, that she might not want to be in the room, uh, during this because it was going to be a tribute show. And my wife, uh, is a very emotional person and very empathic. She feels so much for other people. She happened to walk into the room while they were doing the 10 bell and she sees me crying and she's like, are you okay? And I point to the TV and I say, that's his son. And, uh, my wife loses it. And um, and it was powerful. Um, they uh, end up going. Uh, they announced the announced team: Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Excalibur. They also have Chris Jericho on commentary um, at the start. Um, Chris Jericho added a lot of good to this. Um, we can talk a lot about Chris Jericho's heel persona. For this episode, he didn't play heel most of the night he would put in a few jabs here and there to the the people he was feuding with but for the most part he he uh was out of character and just talking about how great Brody lee was and how much he'll be missed the first match and and if i'm remembering correctly they announced this that the matches the the pair-ups were all based off of Brody lee jr's suggestion um he booked the card yeah, that, that that he suggested the teams. The the actual matches were still booked by Tony Khan. Apparently, he was up till like three o'clock in the morning rewriting the script the night before to to get everything perfect for it. But the first match, uh, the Young Bucks and Colt Cabana versus Private Party with Matt Hardy. Um, and like we said, I mean, this comes out. The Young Bucks look like they're they've. Uh, probably been been emotional but colt cabana comes out and and you can tell that he is just wrecked by this um his eyes are red like he's been crying for hours and he very well might have been um i do know that colt cabana had a long history with Brody lee pre Brody lee going to wwe when he was on the indies and uh, so obviously they had a close relationship. This match, I'm not going to go play by play on the match because uh, in the end, really doesn't matter. Uh, this was a tribute show. The matches exactly didn't matter. But in the end, uh, Colt Cabana got the pin with the Chicago Skyliner, um, or the Superman pin, excuse me, after hitting the Chicago Skyliner. And uh, there was a little bit of storyline where um, the acclaimed came out 
to talk smack. Uh, but then SCU came out and beat him up and all that. But it was very small and very tastefully done. Just a little bit of here. Here we're going to further a storyline, but we're not going to take the focus off of this. They even allowed Colt Cabana to hit the double elbow on them. And um, the Bucks get super kicks in and all of that stuff. And so that's one member of the Dark Order getting a win. And and in the end, it happened basically the way I hoped it would. I said this to uh, my wife. I said, here's the Dark Order better get all the wins. Mm. Um, and specifically, uh, certain members of the Dark Order, I think, should get wins. Um, so next match went on. Yeah, Eddie Kingston, Butcher and the Blade versus Lance Archer, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson of the Dark Order. And uh, this one comes out. Uh, Lance Archer is dressed like Brody Lee pre-WWE and early WWE with the uh, wife beater and and all that. And, you know, it was a wonderful tribute from, from Lance Archer there. There were a few little points in this match that they did tributes. Um, one of them was, and th- th- someone had found a clip of uh, Brody Lee doing this pre-WWE where he um, sets it up with a move where... Uh, I'm trying to remember what happens, but the ref ends up ducking down and then uh, Lan- uh, Brody Lee delivers a big boot to the guy over the ref's head so the ref doesn't see it. Uh, the ref provides the distraction to allow this to happen and Evil Uno does that exact same move on, I think it was the Butcher, but I can't remember um, in there. Uh, but in the end, uh, you got Evil Uno pinning blade win number two for the dark order um next match you had mjf santana and ortiz versus hangman page john silver and alex renner so more members of the dark order um hangman page uh being not an official member of the dark order yet uh, we'll see if that changes um this one might have been the most emotional of the matches of the night mm. um if only because John Silver comes out in a um, ring gear that was bought for him by Brody Lee. That is a John Silver version of Brody Lee's ring gear that he had. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So so he's wearing, you know, because Brody Lee had the, it was the, this kind of black and gray um, uh, pants and, and strap top. Um, and then it would say Brody Lee down the legs in the gray stripes. And this one was the same design with John Silver uh, down the legs. And John Silver, if you had been watching AEW, um, excuse me, Being the Elite, um, they've been building a lot over over the year with John Silver and Brody Lee, where Brody Lee would fight against him. Uh, Brody Lee would be angry at him for being a goof off or a fuck up or whatever. Um, Brody Lee would hit him in the face with a stack of papers every time he fucked up. And the last appearance on AEW, or on Being the Elite, Brody Lee gave John Silver approval and sat him down and, and said, I can't remember if he said exactly the words, I'm proud of you, but you're doing a good job, something like that. Um, and and backstage, we've heard stories about how Brody Lee was uh, a big reason that Alex Reynolds and John Silver got signed and pushed in AEW. 
that they were originally brought in just to be jobbers, and it was Brody Lee who convinced uh, Tony Khan and the other people to give them a little bit more of a role and turned them into what I would say uh, John Silver and, to a slighter degree, Alex Reynolds are definitely up-and-comers in AEW. Mm-hmm. And fu- future stars. Uh, John Silver has... As, absolutely shined in being the elite as as comic relief um but he's also shown off how good of a wrestler he can be um this match ended uh with a so mjf came out and mjf started off this not in any sort of tribute right he um wasn't paying tribute to Brody lee in any way he was bad mouthing things and he would go out to the outside and bad mouth brody jr Mm-hmm. And this ended with Brody Lee Jr., who uh, they've named Negative One, hitting MJF in the head with a kendo stick. And then John Silver hit the discus clothesline on Ortiz and pinned him in the ring. And then we had formerly known as Eric Rowe and Eric Redbeard come out to the ring to help save the Dark Order from the rest of the inner circle. And he held up a sign that said, "Good now for goodbye for now, my brother. See you down the road. Yeah. And I lost it again. So that's yeah. ti- times two that I was crying in this night. Um, I don't know if anyone expected to see Eric Redbeard there. Um, I know when Brody Lee signed with AEW and then not that long after Eric Redbeard was one of the people let go in the firings, uh, the COVID firings. I know I advocated against him joining AEW at the time because I really did think it would be best for both of them to separate from each other. Um, And I think probably it still was. I think if you just had the Wyatt family reunite in AEW, it would have not been good for either of them. But now, um, I... I kind of wish he would have at least joined AEW before, and even if they had put him in a different faction, put him with Eddie Kingston or something else, you know, having him on the same roster again would have been kind of fun, but we missed that chance. Yeah, um, I I mean, uh, his 90-day non-complete is clearly over, because he mm-hmm. was fired back August? April. April? Okay, April. Yeah. Me. Um, and yeah, I mean, I thought that was one that was a sub- shock out of nowhere. I didn't see him him coming, and that was pretty cool. Um, Jericho, did you? Jericho had actually mentioned oh. him as Eric Rowan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jr. had to jump in and try to save that. Um, yeah. I I gotta be honest. I think I think uh, Jr. trying to save it was probably unnecessary. I I don't think WWE would have sued AEW for calling him Eric Rowan, um, even though they technically have the trademark on it. Uh, as long as, um, and maybe this is why JR jumped in, as long as you could say formerly known as Eric Rowan, uh, because they are allowed to do that. All right. Uh, well, just but so along can... the same lines, it, it, it was probably kind of smart on uh, Jericho's part because that's what most people know him as he hasn't been on the major circuits as eric redbeard uh so people i called him eric rowan when he came out i just wasn't on tv saying it so right 
Um, but anyways, moving on. Anna Jay with Tay Conti versus Britt Baker and Penelope Ford. Uh, of course, Anna Jay, also of the Dark Order, uh, they told this story that Brody Lee was the one who picked out calling her number 99 um, and was a big fan of hers and part of the reason she got such a push. Because remember, Anna Jay, when she got signed earlier this year, had only wrestled three official matches in her entire career. And and she looks like she's a seasoned veteran. She is. Uh, she definitely knows what she's doing. Uh, she's maybe not the best wrestler on the planet, but she's got a stage presence and she knows what she's doing for that. So um, this was a fun little tag match, but also played Penelope, uh, play, played up the um, Anna Jay storyline and played homage to Brody Lee some more. Of course, it uh, ended with Anna Jay tapping out Penelope Ford in the, they call it the Queen Slayer. It's um, a rear naked choke. So yeah, um, but that's another victory for the Dark Order. I'm gonna spoil it here. Dark Order sweep the night. Yeah, um, as they should have, right? And that's um, it. I don't think they could have would have been able to do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, yeah. No, it was just, I I was just more, I didn't necessarily care necessarily for what was happening with the matches. I was just more appreciating the night uh, to appreciate. Storyline-wise, they weren't really building too much. Like, they they had a little bit of that with the acclaimed earlier building story. Mm-hmm. Um, after the, the Anna Jay match, Britt Baker uh, got an interview by Tony Schiavone. Uh, she basically uh, claimed that the match was a uh, just one big rig, which was a a call out to Brody Lee big rig, um, which was kind of fun. Afterwards, of course, Thunder Rosa came out and attacked her, building that feud a little bit storyline wise. But again, the match was not about building storyline; it was about tribute. Um, and then the main event match of the night, although not the last segment of the night, the main event match was the dream match handpicked by negative one Brody Lee Jr. Um, Cody Rhodes, Orange Cassidy, and Dark Order's number 10 versus Team Taz, uh, Brian Cage, Ricky Starks, and Powerhouse Hobbs. Um, and, you know, in the end, like I said, the events of the match are not really important. Um, there was a few times when uh, there were uh, tribute moves to... Uh, Brody Lee, uh, 10 hits, Ricky Starks with a Brody bomb, stuff like that. I think there were a couple discus clotheslines, um, big, big boots, things like that. But number 10 got the pin. Uh, and that is... Boy, did I... I, I and, and honestly, I never really paid much attention uh, to number 10 when he was just really in the dark order like that. But seeing, seeing him in this capacity... Of being a single star in a matchup because I feel like he was always in maybe tag team matches. I was really impressed uh, with what he was doing though in the ring, and I, I definitely want to see more of him. I remember the first time I saw him in an AEW dark match um, was before he was in the Dark Order when he was just going by the name Preston Vance, uh, Vanilla Vance, mm. and he impressed me. And he had a good look and and a good move set. And then later they signed, they announced he was part of the Dark Order. Apparently, he's one of Brody Jr.'s favorite members of the Dark Order. 
So that's why he was in this match. And that says a lot that uh, Brody and Brody Jr. have that much faith in him to do that. Um, I also want to, before going into what happened after and then the final thing, point out that there is one unsung hero in the Dark Order um, this night, though. And that's um, Alan Angels, number five, I believe is his name. Um, he spent the entire night at ringside right next to Brody Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. Did not leave Brody Jr.'s side the entire night. And you could tell that Brody Jr. was using him as support and that he was lending whatever support he could to that kid. And uh, I, I think that's important to give him credit. He didn't get any of the big spots in the ring. He didn't get to win a match or all this stuff, but he played his part as uh helping out Brody Jr. so yeah he if anything he had the most important role of the night uh cuz again i i am in awe that this kid was able to do as much as he did because 40 year old man me was absolutely useless for weeks after my dad's death i i don't know how this kid was able to function um uh he is he is a uh a stronger man than me, apparently. Um, after after the match, they did a little bit of storyline where Team Taz uh, attacked the people in the ring, so Orange Cassidy and, and Cody. Um, and then the arena went dark, and Darby Allen's music played, and Darby appeared with his skateboard. And important to note, he did not have the TNT title around his... That'll come up later. Um, and then the arena went black again, and Sting came out. Uh, from the same area as Darby Allen, and they walked to the ring and joined Cody Rhodes, Orange Cassidy, and Ten in the ring, and then Team Taz retreated to the back. Uh, so, very subtle storyline advancing without taking away from the tribute. And then it went to commercial break, and it came back. Cody is in the ring alone, and this is the final segment. And uh, Cody talked a little bit about Brody Lee. And then introduced Brody Lee Jr. Brody Lee Jr. came out with his mother. Tony Khan came out with them. And Ten came out as well. Um, in the ring, Brody Lee Jr. placed his father boots, father's boots in the middle of the ring. Um, Tony Khan then covered him with uh, a Dark Order um, colored bandana. And then Tony Khan gave a little speech and presented Brody Lee Jr. with the TNT Championship belt. Not a replica. Not a a version of the belt, the TNT championship belt. He uh, said Brody Lee was the greatest TNT champion and that Brody Lee Jr. was the TNT champion for life. Um, time number three, I lost it. Very, uh, very much. Absolutely. Um, but it's Im- important to take some time to point out that they're 100% right on it. This is why Darby didn't have the belt when he came out before. Because uh, while he is still the champion for whatever they're going to... I, They might even rename the belt. I don't know. But they're redesigning and he's going to get a whole new belt. No one will ever have the TNT championship belt that Brody Lee carried. That will be carried by Brody Lee Jr. Who, it's important to also note, uh, has been signed to a contract already for when he turns of age if he wants to. Um... Tony Khan and All Elite Wrestling are showing uh, how dedicated they are to their family already. And that's so impressive to me. Um, yeah. 
Uh, just, you know, with everything from the anonymity of anyone knowing that he was sick, you know, the fact that they have kept that, <coughs> excuse me, the fact that they have kept that uh, quiet uh, against anybody shows that they are a close uh, niche bunch um, within that group. We've, we've heard it n- n- countless times with Jericho mentioning it, uh, you know, the like family and all of that stuff and with this tribute night you really even feel that more it's like they have well it's not even like they have lost one of their family members you know and also with the video packages going throughout the night uh you know we started off with moxley uh jericho also had one as well and had one eddie kingston and they've had uh, like you mentioned they've had a a lot of time together in the indie scene and all that and those forget about it just completely bald by bald I, I couldn't you know it's just what a what a it's what a glor- <sighs> glorious night is probably the wrong word but if you're gonna do a tribute show that is how you do a tribute show i i gotta i gotta say it's probably one of the again best tribute shows uh to pay the most respect to someone that's the ultimate way to pay respect mm-hmm. to someone it was just so well done and and the fact that you know we've seen tribute shows before um that didn't have family or had a small amount of family like eddie guerrero's of course uh, uh chavo was there and um vicky guerrero was there of course but you didn't see his kids there. You didn't see, you know, for the most part, they kept that separate. This was 100% breaking kayfabe to just say, hey, he was family. I know he played the bad guy cult leader, but he was family. And his family is family. Um, right. Was was kind of a big deal. And it was, like you say, it was about, about the most perfect tribute night ever I've ever seen. And again was bawling and like you say they had the vignettes where where they talked to different people eddie kingston did one i think lance archer did one um and john moxley did a couple other ones they even had some that they didn't air that night that they put up on youtube so um worth watching those as well uh but it was it was a perfect tribute night and very emotional it's a a really good example of how powerful pro wrestling can uh we we give it a lot of crap on this show because we're pro wrestling fans and that's what pro wrestling fans do is they shit on pro wrestling a lot but we do it because we love this fake sport and we love the people involved with it and we feel very very much for them Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though Brody Lee, Luke Harper, whatever you knew him as, was usually a villain, uh, doesn't mean he wasn't still a hero, you know, to a lot of people. And so this was a great tribute to him. Uh, who knows where the Dark Order goes now? Uh, you and I had a conversation on the messaging um, about you know i i think we have different ideas of what dark order does and you know in the end it'll be interesting to see what they do with dark order um you know even john silver had mentioned it i think it was on talk is jericho if i'm not mistaken uh unless it was another podcast um (coughs) he had mentioned uh he doesn't necessarily know uh what is going to happen with the dark order um but he would like 
uh, it to continue with Brody's legacy living on. So, um, but again, we were talking about if the Dark Order, you know, going into how they would become now, would they potentially be baby faces? Would they still be doing the heel role? Can you even do the heel role now, just given the situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting, to say the least, how um, they are. They, I don't think the Dark Order is going to. The Dark Order is going to go anywhere. It's still going to be a group, um, just because that is the last living, the last legacy mm-hmm. that. Brody I mean, that's has. that's going to be so, the long-standing tribute to him. Yeah. I like I said in my text with you. I'm I'm of the belief that they at least for a while have no choice but to treat Dark Order as a face group, have them be face for a while. Um, this changed the makeup of that group, and I don't think they can be the heels right now, um, one way or another. I think they hinted a bit at it on this week's Being the Elite. <clears throat> uh, last week's Being the Elite also was a tribute to Brody Lee, but it was mostly just footage and stuff. This week's Being the Elite was a little bit more back to normal, but they did talk about Brody Lee. But it also ended with a segment with, it just had the Dark Order sitting in the Dark Order cave, I call it, it's room. And they're all just sitting there, dejected, looking down, sad, because Brody Lee's gone. And Hangman Page walks in and very quietly and respectfully says, hey, um, can I join you guys? And they say, sure. And he takes a seat and they, he bows his head and now, whether that means he's now a part of the group or not, we'll find out. But it was a very sympathetic moment. And I think that, to me, hints that they're going to treat them a little bit more as faces, which I think is fine because AEW's got a lot of heel groups right now. Having a group that, that kind of becomes the face of a group, the face of the company for a bit wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, I also... I... I I kind of giggle to myself when I think of this. About two weeks ago, I had this idea pop through my head, and maybe this is something that they should think about doing with it. Uh, I think AEW Dark should become a Dark Order show. Dark Order Showcase, should I say. Um, I think they could turn AEW Dark into the show that the Dark Order runs. You know, Dynamite is the show that's on TV, Dark is the show that's on uh, YouTube. Dark is the show that they could have the Dark Order involved in most of the matches as a showcase for them. But I don't know if I... Because that was two weeks ago before we learned about Brody Lee's death, and I don't know if they can do that now. I think Dark Order has to have a bigger presence on regular TV now. Well, and that too. And um, I mean, I, I don't... I, I just think having the Dark Order on the main show is good and, you know, still treating AEW Dark as a show for other wrestlers to showcase their talents that wouldn't necessarily perhaps be on TNT yet is still uh, a good uh, a good vibe for it. If anything, if really anything, you can create certainly uh, a YouTube um, being the elite type of thing in regards to a dark order um, st- stuff that they can do uh, for showcasing but I, I honestly do think having AEW dark just as showcasing talent because they've already kind of established people now are watching because of that uh, so I don't necessarily know if they want to diminish themselves 
in terms of removing what they've worked hard on for letting people know what this is you know there's a lot of viewers that watch uh, i'm obviously a lot of people would watch AEW Dark Order if you will um but i think if they're just going to do that they might as well just create another youtube um scenario sort of style i i really like the fact it uh, being the elite um i haven't watched one in quite some time but this one was so emotional with uh when it was backstage at the Brody Lee tribute show and i i it made me appreciate also more of what AEW has done as well with using their social medias and YouTube and creating these other shows because it also allows them to showcase a different side of them and not just the you know multi-million dollar TV company uh on TNT but that these people have hearts and so on so i it made me also appreciate the different uh the different segues they're going uh with how they use everything and just really although i knew AEW beforehand was so uh such a such a family this further allowed me to see how how tight they really in fact are and how smart uh and caring Tony Khan is as a boss as a promoter it 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 just made me see them in a whole other different light that this is a company and an organization that really will go above and beyond for everyone in their company and just yeah it's just an emotional week uh that was and you know still hitting but yes certainly that week very emotional yeah well and that's i mean you mentioning them going above and beyond uh they um they did a uh video package at the end uh oh jesus yeah oh that was so oh my god and and some of the things that were like really powerful in it is they used footage not footage but pictures of him in his wwe with wwe superstars um no they used images that bray wyatt put up on that's Instagram. right it still is images of wwe superstars in wwe superstar costume during which which is surprising because so often um companies try to maintain this separation but AEW is like we we can't deny that this guy had a whole career at a different company right mm-hmm. so we're going to use those but as part of going above and beyond the music that they used for that uh was a song called Old 55 by Tom Waits apparently it was a song that Brody Lee liked um Tom oh, Waits is, okay. is a thing that Brody Lee liked uh when using that song in that there's a licensing agreement tony khan went uh to the the extreme effort of licensing that song not just for a single use not even just for short time use but in perpetuity meaning forever so right. that that tribute video can stay up online forever yeah that's crazy that is that's crazy that's something i vince mcmahon would never do that and that's not trying to dog on vince mcmahon that is just a, a huge expense that most people wouldn't think was necessary and to, to have tony khan say this is important to me that this tribute stays up forever shows how much tony khan cared you know that was an expense that he didn't have to do 
that was an expense that I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he didn't. You know, right. if if in two years or three years or five years, you know, you went to view that video and and uh, it had fake music on it and you know different music or it was just silent, I don't think anyone would have would have blamed Tony Khan for it. Right. But Tony Khan said, "I don't want that to happen." I am going to license that music. I bought the rights to it in perpetuity so that tribute will last forever. So you can go up and and watch the video on YouTube um, um, or Twitter uh, and it will be the same now as it will ever be with the same song because Tony Khan cares so much. Um, anyways, we, we will move on from talking about Brody Lee because this is this episode's really wanting to talk about the whole year in review and then thoughts about what we hope to happen in the future, right? But I will talk, we did, Brody Lee wasn't the only person we lost in wrestling world this year. Um, we already mentioned Shad Gaspar, tragically uh, dying, saving his son from drowning. Um, we had uh, Bullet Bob Armstrong, father to uh, Jesse James, uh, Ryan Armstrong, um, you know, the Armstrong brothers, um, he died at 80, uh, Danny Hodge died at 88, Hana Kimura, uh, it's, it's crazy for me to realize that that was all this year, oh, um, uh, uh, Hannah Kimura died of suicide, unfortunately, um, 22 years old, Howard Finkel died at 69, Kamala died recently, uh, 70 years old, Kevin Green just like a week ago, um, Kevin Green didn't have a huge impact on wrestling. He was mostly known as a football player, but in the, in the 90s, he participated in WCW wrestling. Um, he was a friend of uh, Goldberg's, if right. I remember correctly. Uh, La Parca, but not the original La Parca. The second La Parca died at 55. We mentioned Pat Patterson died at 79. Road Warrior Animal died at 60. Uh, Dwayne Johnson's dad, Rocky Johnson, died at 75. And uh, not too long ago, Tommy Lister, uh, Zeus, um, Z-Man, oh. died 62 years old. Um, those are the names in wrestling. Of course, we all we all know that, that a lot more people died than just them, but those are the wrestling names. This is a wrestling podcast. So, um, so thoughts go out to all the families that have had to deal with loss this year in wrestling. Uh, Brody Lee was just kind of the most shocking one of them all for me. Uh, yeah, and uh, of course, also Hannah Camara was also so young. You mm-hmm. know, earlier this year. The real tough thing with Hannah is um, she died before she was able to have as big of an impact as she probably would have had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at 22 years old, she had barely even scratched the surface of the business of what popularity she could have had. You know, she was big in stardom over in Japan, but she hadn't really crossed over to American audiences. Um, Some people knew her. I'm not saying that no one in America knew her, um, but uh, the vast majority of wrestling fans in America didn't have a huge knowledge of, of her career because she died so young. And uh, that's maybe made it more tragic because she never really got to experience the vast majority of what a lot of people do in wrestling. 
But anyways, to try to bring this up from the bummer that it's been for the first part of this, um, let's look at the year in review in other respects. Um, I'm going to try not to focus too much on the bad things that happened in wrestling because unfortunately there were some bad things. Um, but there were also a lot of good things that happened in wrestling this year. Uh, aside from deaths, one of the bad things that happened was something that happened to everyone. That's COVID. Right. Uh, COVID came and absolutely changed the industry when uh, people couldn't travel anymore and you couldn't do live events anymore. How does a industry that thrives on live live events survive uh you know concerts basically went away right you can't can't do they did some live aired concerts on tv stuff like that or streamed online but for the most part there haven't been concerts right um but wrestling continued wrestling adapted and was able to um it may never be the same as it was before we'll find out once covid kind of retracts a bit and we can get back to to live events but there's speculation that wwe won't go back to touring at all or specifically won't go back to house shows at all uh, at all at all at like all, you're saying all. three years from now yep the speculation that uh i was reading was and this is not directly related to covid covid was just the impetus the the reports have it that wwe was talking about getting rid of house shows before covid came along and uh because house shows haven't been particularly profitable for them for a while attendance has been down there's reasons behind it we could talk for hours about all my speculative reasons why house shows have been down probably the biggest reason i would argue is because they don't matter so why as a wrestling fan why would you go to a show that that you've been told repeatedly doesn't matter i know in the 90s there were multiple times when a championship changed hands at a house show the house shows matter right now in this day and age they don't championships never change hands at house right. shows it's like watching a main event but it's, yeah. it's not televised you know like yeah. uh okay but they're, they're still gonna have audience I, I took that as not having audiences anymore no okay no 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 they're, they're still gonna have raw and smackdown with audience but house shows are uh expected to be a thing of the past which which really in a way hurts places like here where i live in omaha nebraska uh might actually hit hit where you live in in Canada a bit no. because well, Ca- Canada hasn't gotten too many pay per views in forever, right? No, um, but we it occasionally gets a Raw or a SmackDown. We've gotten both actually last mm-hmm. year. We yeah. got both Raw and SmackDown, or two years ago. I don't even know two anymore. Ago, but... uh, two years ago. Um, oh right, of course for 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so yeah. But I but think yeah. you also probably got house shows, and not having house shows uh, will mean that the ability of a person like me, because we got a SmackDown near us last year in, in a town about an hour away from here, um, uh, the year, well, two years ago now, uh, before COVID, pre-COVID, uh, DA Fabe and I went to a SmackDown together. Um, it was actually pre-podcast. Um, we were still in the talking phases of the podcast. Um, and then there was supposed to be a Raw here where where I live, Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, 
Actually, I think it was supposed to be a SmackDown, and then it got changed to a Raw early COVID, and then it got postponed entirely or canceled entirely. But most of what we would get here in Nebraska was house shows. That's right. the the was the bread and butter for if you wanted to see wrestling of the big brand WWE in Nebraska, you had to be ready to watch a house show. Yeah. Not having house shows means less chance to see wrestling in Nebraska. Um now AEW will help fill in that a bit once they get back to traveling. Uh hopefully we'll get an AEW Dynamite here. Um, when they start their second show, whatever that's going to be, if that film's on a separate day, then, then we'll have another shot at at that. But no house shows is going to affect a lot of, especially a lot of the more uh, smaller communities in America. You know, the big communities like L.A. and Houston and New York will always continue to get shows. Chicago will always get shows, right. you know. But the smaller cities will not get as many shows when there's not house shows. And that's going to be a sad thing if that happened. Um, AEW was not doing house shows before COVID. So um, I don't know if they ever planned on doing house shows. I think... I, I mean, I imagine they did, though. Um, but I think, honestly, it it's it's a lot of work for the wrestlers. It you is. Know? Like, like I said, I'm not saying there's not a good reason for them to get rid of it it was an expense if it wasn't paying back money you know i understand however there was one side of house shows that gets kind of overlooked for um a benefit of them and not having them might hurt now aew has done fine without it but i think i'm gonna go out on a limb and say i think not having house shows is part of the reason wwe is not as enjoyable to watch right now as it has been before and that's because plan house shows are when they would test storylines right it didn't matter to the storyline so or to the current storyline so you could do whatever you wanted and so you would have the fiend bray wyatt go out and face off with someone that you wouldn't expect to see them face off with on raw or smackdown and eventually they'd be able to work through a storyline and come up with an idea of how that works as a storyline. And that might turn into an actual storyline you see on TV. So it's kind of a way to dry run things. And because they are not doing house shows now, there's no dry running anything. There's no experimenting with how does this play out? How do the fans react to this? You know, is this what we want to continue to do? They just have to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And I think that's hurting them. And, uh, you know, it might be hurting AEW in some ways, but they never did house shows, so we don't know. Right. Uh, At the same time, too, though, this can be very beneficial because you don't necessarily need to do make have a house show to do that. You can have WWE. Now, they're not good with their social media stuff, uh, but they can essentially do a WWE Network kind of house show where it's just random things put together um and you know based on or even on their youtube channel based on the likes that they get uh if people if enough people are chatting about it on the web and so on they could technically still do it in that way it saves them a bunch of money as well they could Uh, and they can't because here here's the problem is by not doing a house show it means you don't get live audience reaction which is important feedback. It's it's one of the things that they've struggled with through COVID, both AEW and WWE and even Impact Wrestling and 
uh, Ring of Honor now that they're back with with no fan shows uh, not having an audience there you don't get a reaction so you don't truly know how things are going live but but even more than that the nice thing with house shows is you have it's like a small focus you're not putting it out there to the the vast public you're putting it out to a small group of people so you get a really quick immediate feedback on it and if they were to do something on youtube or whatever without doing a house show it means doing it with nobody there just filming it and then putting it up on youtube that doesn't get you the same sort of immediate feedback that doesn't get you the same sort of feeling on things um and i'm not saying they won't do it they very well might and it might end up being successful but it goes back to what I was saying is it's going to change wrestling and how it changes. We don't know. That might be one of the ways it changes wrestling. Uh, uh, they could I mean, look. Technology is crazy. You know, they, they, who knows what, uh, you know, we, uh, I, we have the Thunderdome that WWE has done. Right. Um, I think they maybe got the idea from other sport sports places that have done it basketball i think was one of the first sports to have something like that be done and that was super creative uh especially since you couldn't have fans actually in attendance um so who knows maybe maybe they could do like a you know based off your ip you could only watch this show and then maybe there will be like fan reactions you'll have like a mini thunderdome those living in this area can sign up and da, da, da. so i guess fresh, what i know yeah what i'm getting at is doing that doesn't the reason that they say they're stopping uh doing house shows is the expense right of right. putting together a show with not very many people in attendance so then putting together a show with no one in attendance doesn't give you any benefit over not doing house show right um because you're still doing the whole expense of putting on a show. You're not being able to charge ticket. So you're not bringing back any of that money. That's what it comes down to. If the reason they're stopping doing house shows is because they weren't making money on it, then they're probably not going to do empty arena shows for YouTube that they're not making any money off. See what I mean? No, no. But there's plenty of stuff where they have meet and greets, live concerts. WWE could just start doing that. And you have the shows being filmed at their performance center and you have people pay like $20, $10, $20, $30 for tickets kind of thing. Which, which this might is something... That's why, I was might... Saying, that's why I was saying we, we'll, we're yet to see how this, how this affects, but it will affect long term. Um, I, what I'm saying. It's probably where it's going, though, just because uh, artists are doing that now, right? They're, but he, they, they're doing that now, but you better believe as soon as audiences are allowed back in, in stadiums that music artists are going to start doing shows again, right? First, absolutely. They, and that's what I'm saying is, unfortunately, for wrestling, it's, it's probably going to end up with less live shows, whereas other things are going to go back to status quo. Like... The NFL is going to go back to full stadium attendance within a year of COVID being over, right? Uh, NHL hockey is going to go back to full arenas, you know, as yeah. soon as they can. Uh, NBA is going to go back to full arenas as soon as they can. NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, they aren't going to cut games. They're not going to do less games. Right. Uh, WWE will do less shows after COVID. 
than they did pre-COVID. That's going to be a long-term effect of it. They may do some virtual things. Um, we don't know, but it will be a net loss in number of shows. Um, and that's unfortunately going to be a downside of it. COVID is going to have long-term effects in, in wrestling. It's just what's going to happen out of it. And here's hoping that we have some long-term positive effects out of it. Um, we know that AEW is going to have a second show. Are they going to uh, eventually tour with that show like they planned on and were touring with Dynamite? And I'm sure they're going to go back to touring with Dynamite. And I'm sure WWE is going to go back to touring with Raw and SmackDown, right? Mm -hmm. um, and their pay-per-views are still going to be taking place in different cities. But if there are no house shows, when AEW adds that second show, are they going to add second like locations? Or are they just going to film them after uh, Dynamite like they do with Dark? Um, that's what I don't know. And that's what, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to find out. Um, but it's kind of scary as a fan because I want it to go back to status quo. I want there to be house shows again. I, I want some of my fondest memories are going to WCW house shows because that's all I ever got in the town that I grew up in. Um, you know, getting to see this, this event that only you got to see. Even if nothing important happened, you got to see it and people in other cities didn't. Right. There was something special about that. And we're not going to have that. In, um, but so that's one of the bad things that happened over uh, in related the firings. WWE doesn't get off without me talking about the firings at the beginning of COVID. Um, it was a dick move then, and it's still a dick move. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, we had the whole show on it, and we called them out on it. And we weren't the only ones. Everyone did. And they think we've forgotten, and we have not. Um, it, you know, it's the company's still making millions of dollars, even with COVID. Um, in fact, they're set to have their most profitable year ever, from what I had heard. And that uh, was like, what? How? Oh my god! All the firings, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, a they fired a bunch of people. B they didn't have the expense of house shows, so that didn't hurt them. Um, they uh, still had their shows going on, uh, even though they didn't have fans in attendance. They still sold plenty of merchandise. Uh, they still sold network subscriptions and pay-per-view buys. Um, so all of that stuff happened. But but I will still still continue to be angry at them for all of the people that got let go at the beginning of a global pandemic when you're one of the wealthiest companies in America, you know. You're not the Waltons, but you're still a multi-multi-million dollar company that could have afforded to pay these people through the pandemic. Like, here, we're almost a year into the pandemic. If someone gets fired now, I wouldn't have been as angry because I'm like, okay, you lived out as long, the pandemic's going on longer than you expected, I understand. Eventually, you have to make these calls. But I want to point out, WWE is still the only major wrestling company in the world that let go of a lot of people during the pandemic right wow yeah. um new japan paid their employees their wrestlers to stay home you know during it ring of honor you know didn't do any shows during it paid their their wrestlers their contracted dates during the time there's stories talking about them pay, paying venues that they'd pre-booked even though they never actually used them because of the pandemic right impact went dark for a while and then came back and did 
no fan shows so they can continue to pay people and sign uh, quite a few of the people that WWE let go. Right. Uh, AEW has signed some people, Brody Lee being one of them, um, has uh, brought in some former WWE people to do cameos, um, do a few episodes, like Matt Cardona did a few episodes, so on and so forth. Um, WWE was the only one that let a bunch of people go. And so we have to talk about that and have to give them a big negative streak on that. Hasn't hired anyone. And for the most part, hasn't hired... Well, but they've hired a few people and then, uh, you know, there's speculation that they're trying to... to, um, In fact... The, the report came out that they've been secretly getting in contact with a bunch of Impact Wrestling superstars to see when their contracts are up uh, about hiring them. Oh, right? okay. Um, and so, uh, again, I point out, that means that you didn't fire these people because of the pandemic. You fired them because you wanted to fire them. The pandemic was just the excuse that you used. Which a lot of people are using as an excuse. Yeah, which is a dick move. It doesn't matter what company you're, you're, which organization you're at, right? I don't care if you're Walmart, right? If you use the pandemic as an excuse to fire people um, when you didn't have to fire people, it's a dick move. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, so, So COVID is the main reason for a lot of the bad things in wrestling this last year. We could talk about bad storylines. We could talk about bad things like this. I don't want to talk about bad anymore, so let's... Let's be positive. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the good stuff that happened this year. Um, you mentioned it earlier. With all the COVID stuff and all that stuff, the Thunderdome. Genius Brilliant. Thing. Brilliant. Yeah. Now, in a way, it, like you say, spinoff uh, uh, ideas that the NBA was doing, Major League Baseball wasn't doing with fans, but they did cutouts, which is a low-tech version of this. Um <laughs> In fact, I'll give Major League Baseball uh, one credit for it. They were having fun with their cutouts. They put Easter egg cutouts out there. Like, uh, uh, there was one of them. There was Waldo hidden in one of the stadiums during the thing. Um, There was a lot of fun things that they did. I think that's fun. Um, But before the Thunderdome came along, the uh, good thing was AEW realizing that they could have wrestlers in the air quotes crowd to yeah. at least give an air of some sort of audience, right? Genius um, move too. Yep. It was a genius move. And uh, one WWE followed up and then improved on when uh, not only did they do the Thunderdome, which allowed them to have a audience at the shows virtually, but when they opened the Capitol Wrestling Center uh, for NXT, not only did they have virtual crowd like a Thunderdome, but they also had wrestlers in the crowd in the cage around um, to give an air of an actual crowd there. So right. those are some great things that happened. Um, there were some some fun things, uh, a, a really great thing, and I know some people will disagree with us on this. The Firefly Funhouse match. John Cena? Yeah, John Cena. Oh, yeah. That was great. Um, that was... 100 percent entertaining and also the barnyard match that was this year right yes that was this yeah. year the barnyard match 
uh, or last year, the Boneyard match. Um, honestly, I don't think that's what they were planning at all. Um, obviously, um, but you know, they they did what they needed to do. They they filmed for what was it like 13 hours or something. Um, that was uh, this was a year of cinematic matches. Not all of them were great, but certainly the Firefly Funhouse. Um, and the Boneyard match was great. And hey, a two-day WrestleMania. I think that should be the new way of doing WrestleMania. Yeah. Well, I I was saying two-day WrestleMania long before COVID, just because it was getting so long, separated up into two days, kind of like Wrestle Kingdom does. Um, you know, have these two days where uh, all of this stuff can happen. You can have matches on night one affect matches on night two without burning out your employees, your wrestlers, you know what I mean? And your fans. And your fans. Because um, <laughs> three hour, honestly, it gives me, because five hour manias, I think it was almost getting to six hours, was just exhausting. It was. Absolutely exhausting. And I think these WrestleManias were like three hours each for the most part. And it gave me a chance to breathe then and the next day to breathe a little to reflect on what i saw on the first night and then to go into the second night with everything i learned from the first night and enjoy that so i i truly do think and it allows you to give more tv time to a lot of other wrestlers as well you don't have to rush book uh, I guess they never rush book a WrestleMania, but you can certainly take time with other talents and give them more of a spotlight than you would have in a five-hour show. Mm-hmm. You know. So, so when we talk about the Firefly Funhouse match and the Boneyard match, I think the easiest way to sum them up is cinematic matches. Yeah. This was the year of cinematic matches. Um, it yeah. It's not that they didn't exist before; they've existed for a long time. Um, but this was the year that that they became mainstream and allowable. And don't get me wrong, when the pandemic's over and we get back to regular matches and stuff like that, I 100% want to see uh, less cinematic matches overall. But that doesn't mean I don't want to see cinematic match. Just now you can use them when you need to rather than, you know using them every show because the downside with cinematic matches is they did get to be a little bit overdone this year uh i mean yes but some of them were just done horribly take Mm -hmm. for full extreme rules on showman versus it wasn't horrible but it wasn't great either i think i think that comes down to overusage of them by feeling like they had to do so cinematic matches they pushed themselves and they did cinematic matches when they didn't need to um but Mm. along the same lines out of that we still got brilliant matches like the aforementioned boneyard match or the um uh was this match this year for aew which one stadium match Stadium Stampede was also this year, and that was one that I was going to to bring up as another technically cinematic match, but it didn't feel like a cinematic match. Unlike the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match that were very obviously cinematic matches. Oh yeah, but the Firefly Funhouse just... Yeah. Uh, I, the, I think I'm going to rewatch that after this uh, podcast. 
That was yeah. just phenomenal. The the stadium stampede match still felt like a regular match just taking place in a giant stadium instead of in a ring. But I'm it was sorry, phenomenal. But you have party change characters in yeah. the water. I, I knew it was. I'm, <laughs> I, no, I'm not saying it wasn't pre-filmed and all that, but overall it still felt like it didn't feel like a cinematic match because it still took place in what felt like a regular scenario. Um, whereas the Boneyard was like, hey, let's go to some random farm cemetery place, right? Um, and the Firefly Funhouse was, let's go inside John Cena's head. Ugh, so amazing. Uh, this one was still effectively a traditional match that just used the ability to pre-tape creatively, right? And the thing is, I think WWE has learned as well. For instance, The Fiend got set on fire at TLC. You don't think the setting on fire part was pre-taped? You better believe it was, right? Uh, I think it was horribly done. I mean, you even technically had the Edge-Orton match at Mania? Was it Mania? Yeah. Uh, the greatest wrestling match of all time? <laughs> no, that wasn't Mania. That was... Um, which one was that? I no, can't you're right. Remember. It was like SummerSlam or something. Yeah, I think it was uh, SummerSlam. Um, um, but that, for instance... Uh, I don't remember if I thought that was a great match, but the taping was messed up, or if it was a really bad match. Oh, I think I remember liking it more so than their crappy match they had at Mania. Was it Mania? That where they were in the back. Yeah, I think it was at Mania where they were in the back. That's in it. Like they've done a lot Mania, of crap. Mania was too. the last man standing match where they wrestled in the weight room and stuff at Mania. Yeah, that was. But we also had some great matches like uh, AEW Kenny Omega and Hangman Page versus the Young Buck at Revolution. Uh, that one was, I think, pre-COVID because that was like January, if I remember correctly. Mm, yeah. um, that one was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, FTR versus the Young Buck at Full Gear. Uh, that one was phenomenal. That We've was been waiting for the Young Bucks versus FTR for quite a while. Um, I'm just trying to think uh, of some of the other. I mean, we finally got to see Kenny Omega versus Pac. Yeah, that was I mean, it wasn't cinematic. No, it wasn't cinematic. I'm just now going through and talking about just matches. Just, oh, okay. you know, talking about the good stuff that we got to see over this last year. So we got some great wrestling this last year. We had I mean, cinematic well, matches as a whole, but. Some, some might not agree, uh, but we got Roman coming back. Uh, yeah, Roman's heel turn. Adding, yeah, adding a I, shock. Yeah, I I will die on on the hill of Roman's heel turn was the best thing, uh, probably the best new thing in WWE of the year. Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd maybe agree with that. Aside from maybe Edge's Royal Rumble, um, I'd agree with Roman coming back. That was a complete shocker. Yeah. That blew my mind. That was crazy. Ed, Edge returning was one of the best moments. But it wasn't a new thing. It was a return. Uh, Roman's heel turn was a totally new thing. Um, but yeah, Edge's, Edge coming back uh, at Royal Rumble was moment of the year, probably. Was it uh, a... <laughs> was that the Slammy winner for moment of the year? I don't remember what happened. I, I'll, I'll put Slammy's returning on one of the good things in my book of, of this year. I, I don't care what you think about the Slammies. I think 
they are fun and they bring uh, lighthearted entertainment to to wrestling. So I think they're good to have around. Yeah, no, I uh, I I'd agree with that. And whatever, it's something you can add on the network. They did it on the network there. You can tune in live. I, I thought that was cool. I didn't watch it, but uh, it was cool that they certainly had it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, with adding with Roman, Paul Heyman, having Paul Heyman join Roman, the whole heel turn, of course, uh, just... I, I think that must be one of the one of the best moments, at least top ten moments in WWE this year. Because whether you like the guy or not, uh, no one saw that coming. People maybe might have saw his heel turn, but him joining with Paul Heyman, no one saw that. Spoiler! What is it? It's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. Believe that. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> um, you know, just continuing talking about. Good things that happened this year. Karrion Cross coming to NXT. Yeah, that was only this year. Um, yeah, it was early this year when he first came. It was uh, right at the beginning it's of COVID. Really funny, though. And then he he got injured, and then he re- came back just recently. Um, but Karrion Cross, just in general, I mean that entrance that they came up with Karrion Cross uh, was one of the best ring entrances I'd seen in a long time pretty intimidating Um, yeah um hey we have the uh the the football player there the punter oh is that here yeah pat mcafee yeah pat mcafee adam cole that was shocking and surprising with what he can do in the ring i thought that was uh absolutely phenomenal for having a non-superstar really be more legitimate than perhaps some superstars who get in the ring so i i was pleasantly shocked by that as well yeah he did better than i expected him to um you know i i think they used him very well from a standpoint while he wrestled better than I expected him to, he still obviously is not a very well-trained wrestler overall. And so they they did a very good job of using his strengths to hide his weakness. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, um, try just trying to think of of some of the other things that uh, a moments or or matches that are important um, for this year that are good things. Oh, mm-hmm. I can Tessa Blanchard winning the Impact World Championship and then uh, <laughs> COVID taking it and fucking off to Mexico with it. And she's still not with the company, right? She got fired and they never. Yeah, she got fired from the company. And as far as I know, she still hasn't even uh, hadn't even sent the official belt back. Oh, my. But uh, John Moxley winning the World Championship from Jericho. Wow, yeah, that was only this year. Revolution. Uh, yeah, we've only had three title holders. Only three, That's Jericho, Moxley, and and then and that actually brings us to, uh, in conjunction with it, Kenny Omega stealing the win and winning the championship belt off of Moxley. And I 100% am in the the cleaner circle on this. Uh, I think it, I understand some people didn't like the way he won it and they wanted Moxley to have a legitimate loss or whatever. I think having Kenny Omega win it in such a heel fashion was phenomenal. And it started this potential crossover with Impact. We'll see how much more comes of it. 
um, that's that's something you know in and of itself. The crossover with Impact is worth talking about as a good thing of this year. Um, you know more Kenny Omega from NJPW as the cleaner. Was he more vindictive and heelish, or was he just the same as what we're seeing him in AEW? Um, we haven't seen the full extent of the cleaner yet in AEW. Um, and I think part of it is, I think we'll see more of it this coming week. Uh, I think they had plans for it at this New Year's bash that they had that was supposed to be last week and this week. <laughs> they got put off. Um, he's he's a prick. Um, he's He's got an attitude. In the ring, he's a cheat to win sort of guy, but he still has all the skills to do it. Right. I think we're we're just scratching the surface of the cleaner, but we're getting the cleaner. Um, well, yeah, we definitely are in the cleaner mode. Uh, it's just I find something is off, and I think you might be right. We just haven't seen the full extent of the cleaner, because I feel from what I've seen of him so far, something, yeah, something is missing. I, I love him with Don Callis. I think that is awesome. Uh, him doing, first of all, him doing the thing with Impact, which still is ongoing, I would imagine. Um, just crazy. Never would have thought that. Um, a joint relationship between AEW and TNA. Um, so that's awesome that they're doing that. But I just feel something's missing with Omega. And perhaps you're right. We just haven't seen the full extent of him yet. Well, because I, I think he's only wrestled one match since winning it, at least in AEW. If even that, has he? Because he's Joey, supposed to... What was that? Joey Janela. Did he fight Joey Janela? Yes, he did Joey Janela. One match against Joey Janela, yeah. He's set to fight uh, Ray Phoenix at this New Year's show. I think night two was when it was originally scheduled for, so next week. Um, but he did have a match down in Mexico at AAA Triple Mania, defending his uh, championship belt there mega champion so so he's he's wrestled as far as we know three two matches since he's gonna be doing his third match since turning the cleaner that's not a lot of time for you you to build a lot of character and show off what the cleaner is but the big thing with the cleaner is he's ruthless in the ring um and out of the ring and we've been seeing a little of that in the impact segment you know uh he's ganged up with the good brothers and was beating up people backstage and one of the impact segments so i think we'll see more of it but here's my thing is i've like i said i'm all on board with it and i'm fine with him doing something fresh with it you know the cleaner doesn't have to be exactly the same but you know you gotta remember the cleaner when he was in full force in in new japan he had the young bucks and the good brothers to be and then eventually just the young bucks as the good brothers left to be enforcers for him and so the the whole thing with the cleaner is the cleaner was the leader of the bullet club so it's pack mentality he's got all the skills to take care of it in the ring but he's also got a, a pack of dogs to help him in any way that they can and you know it's not the first time we've seen that sort of a character it's the whole it's the nwo storyline where he had right. hulk hogan and then the the gang that helped him in every way they could uh dx effectively did the same storyline you know it's it's been the storyline for a lot of the stables men bullet club with the cleaner so i think we're still seeing that coming um another another thing just to move on to talk about is sting in aew um, yeah he he hasn't wrestled a match whether he actually wrestles a match from what i hear 
he's they're thinking of cinematic matches for him, which uh, is is a great way to use cinematic matches and a great way to use him because you can limit his uh, risk um, and create greater impact. So far, he came in and he's threatened people with the bat and he's talked a couple times on the microphone and that's been about it. But it doesn't right. matter because I'm here for it, right? Yeah. And, you know, with this as well, uh, something that we've learned when Sting came to AEW, we have learned of potential stuff he was proposing to mm -hmm. WWE. Uh, him wanting to do a match with The Undertaker. Him wanting to actually be involved in some way, shape, or form. But Vince did not want to uh, do anything with Sting. So that was, although I guess it's kind of a negative, uh, that was still pretty interesting to hear that we could have potentially have got that Sting versus Taker match that we always wanted to see. Um, but of course it didn't happen and um, you know, also hearing Sting on the AEW podcast, just talking about, you know, how at AEW he, he feels, he feels more relaxed, you know, when he compares it to when he was in WCW, um, where WCW, it was more tense and in WWE, it was, it's more scripted. Uh, you have to follow everything by the book. So it was very interesting to hear sting side of what has been going on since you know that wrestlemania match that he had with seth well the so. interesting thing for sting to to talk about a bit is he's he's a rarity in this respect he has worked for all four of the biggest wrestling promotions in the united states he's one of the few who can say that right, right. chris jericho can't even say because he never worked for tna right uh he works for WCW, he worked for WWE, now he works for AEW. But Sting brings with it experience from WCW, from TNA, from time in WWE, and now in AEW, he, he can help out so much. That's what I, I, you know, say, even if he never wrestles an actual match, there's so much that Sting can bring to the table in, w, in AEW that WWE really missed out on their chance to use, right? Uh, some of this, I think, just comes down to Vince McMahon's vindictiveness against WCW. I think yeah. e even when he finally was able to sign Sting to WWE, I think he he viewed it as a chance to have his WWE superstars show how much better they are than this WCW guy. Um I really do think that that was the only use that Vince McMahon saw for Sting, was to put over that WWE is still better than WCW ever was. And that's it. why they put him in a match with Triple H. Right. Yeah. Where he lost. And then they put him in a match with with uh, Seth Rollins, where he lost. And then aggravated an injury that kept him out of wrestling for the rest of his time there. But like you say, he came with p pitches to... Vince McMahon about, I think fans would like to see a cinematic match of me versus The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. Undertaker was still wrestling at the time this was being pitched, right? This right. was pre-Boneyard match. So they could have done a cinematic match with, with Sting, but the fact that Vince McMahon didn't see any point to it, you can't say it's like Vince McMahon didn't see any point to having an old wrestler wrestling now because he was still having Undertaker wrestle. He's still having Goldberg wrestle. Oh, um, Jesus, don't. Vince McMahon would have Hulk Hogan wrestle if 
Hulk Hogan was in shape to wrestle, right? Vince McMahon has no problem with going back to bat with the old, old things. And I say this, we're recording this a day later than we normally do. So tonight was WWE Raw <laughs> Legends Night, where they had Hulk Hogan show up and Ric Flair show up. And, and, and sure enough, at the end, Goldberg came out to challenge Drew McIntyre for Royal Rumble. So I'm just happy he wasn't part of the Rumble itself. There was rumors that that was supposed to happen. So I'm at least glad he's not part of the Royal Rumble match. Yeah, Brock Lesnar is going to come out and win the Royal Rumble again. Stop, stop, don't. Vince, if you're listening, do not have Brock Lesnar come out and win the Royal Rumble again. Or or, or don't listen, don't listen to our podcast. What are you doing listening to some podcast? Get out of here. He doesn't listen. He just sends his minions to listen. Minions, get out of here. Yeah, I mean, oh, geez, I didn't even think of that. But wasn't Brock supposedly going to be in UFC again or something? He hasn't officially announced anything. Brock right now, as far as we know, is just enjoying life on his Canadian farm and hunting and not dealing with people because he doesn't like people. That's fair. It's COVID times, though. Yeah, I'd probably do it if I had. I mean, I'm not a hunter, but if I I could just live out COVID on my farm without having to deal with people, I'd probably do it. I th- I'm very jealous of that fact. I would I would just love a balcony at this point. Like a ranch? Please. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> as long as there's Grubhub. <laughs> exactly. Contactless delivery. Just leave it on the front porch. That's it. Um, and I feel like we're missing... Oh, I'm sure we missed a lot of really big things that happened this year um, that are important. There's too much. I mean... This year was jam-packed with crazy stuff happening. COVID affected all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, Finn Balor as NXT champion, I'm I'm all for. Um, yep, that match with um, O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. So it caused two injuries. Um, we're actually going to see it this Wednesday. Yep, uh, we're going to see a rematch this Wednesday. And I, I, I don't think it's a bold prediction to say I think Kyle O'Reilly wins. I think they see Kyle O'Reilly as the future. Uh, no. And so either he wins or he loses and gets kicked out of, of Undisputed Era for losing. I think this is going to cause uh, a tense, a tense ship, if you will, between Cole and O'Reilly. Yeah. So I think, like I, said, I think my bold prediction is he wins and, and eventually leaves Undisputed Era because Adam Cole doesn't like someone else being the champion in Undisputed Era. Yeah, and I, I'm all for that, though. Although it's very uh, cliche of a storyline, super down. Yep, yeah. down with that. <laughs> um, the AEW versus NXT war this year has been phenomenal, right? I say war. I, AEW isn't treating it like a war. They're just putting on their show. They could give a crap what... Uh, it seems they could give a crap what NXT does. NXT, however, seems very, very much concerned with it and is very definitely counter-programming AEW, um, as well they should, uh, because AEW is kicking their butts most week in terms of ratings. I'm still an advocate not caring about ratings. Uh, I, I look up ratings because I like to see how many people as a total on Wednesday are watching wrestling. Uh, because I think that's indicative of uh, how good the wrestling group as a whole, uh, the wrestling community as a whole is doing. 
and we're basically averaging about 1.5 to 1.7 million wrestling viewers every Wednesday here in the United States. That's huge. I mean, that really does mean on Wednesdays, most weeks, we have more people watching wrestling than watch Raw. And at that very same time, you've even had Raw with the lowest rating ever this year. Um, You know, your flagship show for since its inauguration, its its, its creation has had nothing but solid rating. We saw Raw this year, last year, whatever have you, get its lowest rating ever. Not necessarily a positive, but certainly a positive in the sense that Vince, your fans are telling you something. This is time to open your ears so, and make some kind of change. So um, it's no secret that uh, despite my name being Detective Mark Smarks, that in real life, I am not a detective. I work a different job and it's sales related. There's a fairly famous um, saying when it comes to sales and it says the customer will tell you how to sell to them right it means if you listen to your customer you will know what what they require out of a product and how to how to win them as a customer very valid this is a point where WWE we are telling you how to sell to us you just need to listen um, the shows that are doing fairly well overall are the ones that don't have 20 minute long monologues at the beginning of the show. They're the ones that come out and start off with a hot match right off the bat. Fans are telling you that, right? Literally, fans are on podcasts like this one saying, we don't want to watch someone talk for 20 minutes at the beginning of every show. We would like to see wrestling. And we're telling it to you in terms of ratings. 1.7 million people watching AEW Dynamite or NXT because we want to see wrestling, not talking. Not saying that they don't do talking on those shows, but they they let most of the talking be done through wrestling. Or they don't rebook the same thing over and over and over again. To start off your show, you literally, in some cases, have the same match the next week. And... And even not the same match, right? So I'm a fan of Drew McIntyre as champion, but for God's sakes, how many shows this year started off the first half hour of Raw was Drew McIntyre talking about someone or to someone, right? Not a match, just talking. Almost every one of them. Right. Yeah, definitely the first the 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 first quarter uh, of the year. No, uh, yeah, probably half for half the year it was like that. Mm-hmm. Half the year it was just Drew McIntyre coming out, half an hour promo. Uh, Randy Orton half hour promo, which technically might not mind, but you had a lot of same stuff between Randy Orton and Edge. Randy Orton, Legend Killer, that whole scenario that was over like a month and a half. You know, you had a lot of stuff that was just filler and it was just, you know, pointless. And we saw, I think it was in November when WWE, when Raw had its lowest rating ever, you know, that the fans just had enough. SmackDown is now, well, I think, I guess when they moved to Fox was considered the flagship show. Uh, But SmackDown is even getting better ratings because SmackDown 
does at least start off with either wrestling or an interesting concept although sometimes they can be lackluster i feel like they're at least trying new things whereas raw is just a three-hour promo (laughs) well and and to get back to talking about sting a bit here i think that's a perfect example of fans telling wwe what they want and that's use the legends wisely use them as a storytelling tool not just parade them out whenever you want a cheap pop on ratings right um again tonight was legends night on raw which meant every commercial break either went to commercial break or came back from commercial break with a a backstage segment featuring random legend talking to random current star Mm-hmm. And then go to the ring, and it didn't really affect anything overall, right? Right. Oh, here's Angel Garza talking to Mickey James. Doesn't matter. It's just using a legend randomly. Didn't Whereas, he talk to Wilson? Was that Mickey what? James or Tori? Wasn't that Tori? He talked Wilson? to Tori Wilson too, but he also talked. It was Mickey James. Um, who else was there? Mickey James, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, and can't remember who else was there. Anyways. Um, because Sergeant Slaughter called him a maggot. Uh, okay, but that's that the deal. First out, it was it was just it was just here's a legend interact with a a current star. That's it, gone. Sting in AEW is here's the legend who's mentoring a current star. We haven't gotten to the official mentoring, but obviously aligned with a current star and impacting the storyline. Right. The same with the way they use Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson. Here are legends impacting the storyline. They're just not showing up for a cheap pop. They're showing up to be part of the storyline, right? Hulk Hogan wasn't part of any storyline today. He just came to to have a short segment at the beginning and then a segment later with Drew McIntyre where Drew McIntyre did an impersonation of Hulk Hogan for a cheap pop. Mm. Um, the only storytelling I think... Uh, and I think they should maybe improve on this, was perhaps <coughs> Ric Flair and Charlotte Flair. Yes, there was a little uh, bit of storytelling going on with that. But part of that's because Ric Flair has continued to be a character on WWE TV pretty much nonstop, you know? Right. Um, and so so that's at least using him right. But so if, if you really want to use your legends, WWE, I guess what I'm saying is pick one of them, Maybe not one of the really old ones, not the Sergeant Slaughter or the, or even the Hulk Hogan's, um, but but like you had Molly Holly there at one point, you had Tori Wilson, you had uh, uh, Alicia Fox, who's apparently a legend now. You had Molina. Uh, you had Molina. You had Mickey James. Um, pick one of those legends, say Tori Wilson or or Molina. Molina's a good one. Have her. Choose a new woman's uh, contestant, right? Women's wrestler. And and say, I am going to mentor. I am going to be your new um, coach, for lack of a better term. And then you could use them in a storyline, and we would actually want to see it, right? Right. Having them just randomly appear whenever you want to pop ratings, which is really what this was. I mean, Le- Legends Day was only announced after they had their worst ratings ever. Right. <laughs> That's not a coincidence. There's a direct correlation to them having their worst ratings ever and then announcing Legends Day. So, yeah. And also, too, is 
the fact that when they do bring lens they either bring way too many of them or it, it's bittersweet because they do they kind of do both wrong they showcase their legends too much because i don't know how many times i've seen boogeyman or maybe i haven't seen him that long but i just don't necessarily care for boogeyman let's say or for, or like i love i love ron simmons when he says damn i think that's still awesome but you just have them appear frequently doing nothing but you allow us still kind of to remember allow us to remember the last time we saw them because they were kind of doing nothing so to me this didn't this legends night didn't excite me because i saw hogan at wrestlemania i always see rick flair i see ron simmons say damn every so often um you know that's because again they're not they're not affecting any storylines they're just coming out for the cheap pop but ron simmons is a perfect can you imagine if ron simmons if they had him come out as keith lee's mentor you know say something with the hurt business the hurt business would be another thing there leading to like hey i've been in a faction like this before you know him being with the whole nation of domination thing kind of you know i think they could really do something with that and that would propel uh the hurt business to another level too Mm-hmm. You know, so but that'd be using I, I, him as an actual character instead of just parading yeah. him out for a cheap pop to say damn and make people laugh and then go, oh yeah, yeah, you know. And so why was so, Ken on a walker, by the way? Uh, I don't know specifically. That sort of walker is typically used after someone has to do knee surgery. So oh, okay. I would assume that he had to do some sort of leg surgery. Um, and so they they had to do that on a walker. Um, you know, I don't know. Okay, no, I just thought, like, I'm like, I, oh, damn. I probably would have preferred not seeing the world's strongest man limping around on a walker. Um, but that's me. Well, then I guess they kind of played into that with Randy Orton. Um, but yeah, you kind of ruined your, you know, I mean, not that Mark Henry was going to be doing anything on TV anytime soon. It still kind of diminishes his legacy when you make your legend come out like that. You know? Mark Henry with Keith Lee. That's what should happen. Oh, now that I like. That sounds that. awesome. Yeah. Mark, yeah. like Keith Lee doesn't need help on the mic. Keith Lee doesn't need help in the ring. But I think to to the the raw fans, there's something Keith Lee is just kind of missing that I think having a mentor like Sexual Chocolate, World's Strongest Man, Mark Henry could help out. Anyways, but we're going into negatives now. I think I think there were a lot of positives in the world of wrestling this year despite COVID. But yeah. let's look forward to 2021 now. Mm. What what are the things that we hope to see in 2021? This is where we get to kind of I this isn't fantasy booking. This is more just uh wishing. What what would you like to see happen in 2021? Well um uh, I'll start off while while you're kind of thinking. I'll set the mood here. I would like to see the partnership between AEW and Impact blossom and get uh, New Japan added into um, and maybe NWA and make it a true partnership, a true coalition of of wrestling where you had talent swaps between all three shows on a fairly regular basis to help grow all three 
brands or all four brands. Um, that's what I would like. One of the things I would like to see us next year. Yeah, I, uh, that would be interesting if it wasn't a COVID kind of year still, uh, especially with New Japan. I think that is interesting, but I think that would be way too difficult. Well, uh, which is my- why it plays into one of the other things. Uh, for this next year, I'm hoping, and and I think I speak for all of us, that we uh, get past COVID. I, I know it's not going to be early this year. Uh, in America, we're probably not going to see the regular populace get vaccinated until probably March or April. That's uh, a, yeah. Uh, and I imagine other countries are going to be on roughly the same schedule in the end. Like right now, we're doing first responders and frontline workers for the most part, um, and then some elderly. It'll be a while before a rando can just set up an appointment to get the the vaccine. um, It's going to be well into the summer, I feel. Um, But but if they do it right, that still means by fall, we should be starting to get back to some normality in things. We should start getting concerts back. Um, They'll probably have caveats that you have to have your vaccine to come to the concert. And that's going to drive some people nuts. Mm-hmm. But I'll gladly get stuck in the shoulder if I can buy a ticket to Raw or AEW and go to it. Like, right. sign me up. I'll take two. <laughs> a joke, because most of the vaccines you do have to take two dose. Um, but so so that's that's part of my thing is that that COVID eventually gets under control and we can start getting back to some normality, some live shows again. And in conjunction with that, AEW, Impact, New Japan, and NWA come to some sort of agreement for crossovers. Just think how exciting that'll be. Because it's already exciting with AEW and Impact, and Impact's by no means a huge company right now. Uh, How great would it be to know that, you know, hey, you're watching Impact Wrestling or AEW Dynamite, and you might see Will Ospreay on your team. Um, or or Kazuchika Okada or Tetsuya Naito, you know, show up on American TV on non NWJP NJPW. Anyways, um, how how great would it be to see Nick Aldis show up on AEW Dynamite, uh, or Cody show up on NWA Power to challenge for the NWA belt? Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I, I think that's, I feel like that is what Tony Khan is trying to present. Um, not, it's not a competition, but it's more of a partnership. We aren't competing against each other. We are a f- family of wrestlers who want to just please our wrestling fans. And we should be one family doing this all together. Well, there's, uh, a, there's an old nautical term says a rising tide lifts all ships right if you make wrestling more entertaining as a whole all of the wrestling companies benefit from it even wwe right so so it's it's good for them all to lift each other up um it'll even be good for wwe i mean if if things go right we could eventually start to see ratings go back to where they were in the heyday of the monday night wars with six million people watching wrestling on a Monday night, right? Um, yeah. That's a pipe dream right now. Right. I think 
a step in the right direction would be some sort of coalition of of independence on TV. So. Yeah, and I, I I honestly think that would Vince basically. We've said it many of times. The only time Vince has really started his creative juices flowing was when he was in competition with WCW. That's mm-hmm. when we had our Attitude Era, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was the shining light of the WWE. That's the prime of when WWE was WWE or WWF, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that would indeed help WWF. In that retrospect, though, I would certainly like to see um, WWE push their younger talent a heck of a lot more this year. I don't want to see the the same faces over and over again. But I but I want to see the young blood. I want to see Ali. I want to see Tazawa. I want to see uh, Big E get a bigger push. I want to see Matt Riddle get a bigger push. I would like to see their younger stars rise. You have the ability to push these guys higher and higher and higher. And it was Ali who said on Rot Talk, somewhat similar to the exact same thing. He was saying it in, I think, like a heel formality, so to speak. But he was speaking to what we are kind of saying now in terms of, you know, he was saying, oh, well, why do you have all these old guys taking up TV time for us young superstars, such as the names that I've mentioned? So perhaps I'm echoing his sentiments, but he was absolutely on the ball with what he was saying you know what happened with nakamura these past three years he went from the biggest rising star in nxt to nothing in you just have so much phenomenal talent i guess what i'm saying is i think i want to see absolutely better booking and the only way we're kind of gonna get that is if vince mcmahon feels threatened so that goes to that point well, I think Vince McMahon feeling threatened might be one way. I think the other way is, and this is going to be one of the things I hope to see this year. I hope to see Vince McMahon retire and enjoy the rest of his Oh, you, you, um, you, you have hopes, huh? Uh, I think, um, well, there are reports that he's battling some health issues right now. Um, are you just referring to Ryback's report, or do you have another source? There there are other sources that, that have, Ryback's one of them, but there are other ones that have talked about him, you know, not being in the best of health right now. Um, but even if he's not battling health things, he's also almost 80. Oh, wow. Okay. Let me look it up yeah. here to be certain, because uh, I want to tell you exactly his age, right? I want to inform our listeners correctly. Um... 75 okay but but i mean that's that's the time that you should you should start i mean i think most people should be retired by 75 i think in america 74 is the the maximum retirement age uh for social security right um so uh i'm i'm all for thing in america what you guys don't have a thing when you're 65 you could retire uh you could (laughs) take America is stupid. Early retirement's like 65 now. Oh my God. Okay. They raised the age of retirement up and up and up now uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, mostly because our system is stupid and uh, they took money out of Social Security to pay for other stuff. Um, But that's beside the point there. In the end, 75 is a time that 
a person should be able to step back from their business, pass it off to someone else, and retire. And it's not that he needs the money. He's got plenty of money, personally, uh, and in stocks and everything for the company. He could retire and, and live out the rest of his life in comfort and let someone else take over the company. And uh, whether they run it better than him or worse than him in his mind, in the end, it wouldn't matter because he'd be able to be on a beach with his wife um, and and relaxing and let someone else have all the stress now. And yep. so, so I am viewing this as wishing him the best, that he can have a relaxing time and finally live out the dream of not not having to worry about it anymore and let someone else take over. Um, I think uh, most of us are in the same boat where we think uh, trips running it would be probably the best option because uh, he seems to know what he's doing from his time running NXT. He understands a little bit more what modern fans want to see, I think. Mm. Um, and so so I I see it that way. I, I think it's a good thing to think about him retiring and allowing the company to run in a better way. So that's the way I'm viewing it. Fair. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think he'll ever. I think. I mean, is Triple H going to be the one technically taking over, though? Because I've heard of all, all kinds of rumors with that, too. Well, he is. isn't. Well, we won't know the... until it happens. Right. Um, the the plans are not i mean there's no formalized plan you right. know if if vince mcmahon were to suddenly retire or become incapacitated tomorrow and not be able to do it um the company would be in a little bit of chaos because they don't have as far as we know a formalized plan of who takes over do i who i want to take over is trips um at the very least from a creative standpoint i want him to take over um from a business standpoint i think uh diversifying and and hiring a ceo who's who knows business might be the best way to do it and let trips be the creative director but but that's a business side that i don't need to worry about i'm just saying mm -hmm. i think i think having allowing vince mcmahon to live out uh his retirement in glory and allow someone else to take over is would be the best thing for the company and the best thing for Vince McMahon. It's a win-win-win. Yeah. It's a win-win-win. <laughs> exactly. But um, I I think you know when talking about going going the, uh, the things that I hope to see this coming year, um, I think uh, Darby Allen long run with whatever they call it, whether they still call it the TNT champion or whether they rename it, um, would be a good thing. I, yeah. I don't necessarily know if I'm ready for him to be world champion, but it's it's he's very definitely uh, the rising star. So, you know, I want to see a fairly long run with the cleaner as champion, but eventually you've got to have a face stand up and take it away from the cleaner. That's the whole point of heels. So eventually a face beats them for the, the win. So whether Darby Allen is the best choice down the road, maybe. What I want to see, though, Hangman Page. But he's a heel now. I guess that could change in three, four, five. I don't think he's a heel. I think he teased a heel run with the drinking and all of that stuff, but it was Kenny Omega who turned, and he's been playing more face recently. Even with this whole Dark Order trying to recruit him, 
he's been playing it off as the reluctant face guy doing it. In fact, I think him being involved with the Dark Order post Brody Lee could be the uh, the storyline for them becoming a face. I mean, the storyline is Brody Lee, but the the impetus as as a character drive uh, is the influence of Hangman Page bringing this group around to the good side, and then eventually, and and I think if you if you kind of talk to almost anyone. Uh, that's the Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega storyline is what they're building to one way or another. I mean, it's why they gave them a long run with the tag belt is to build up this relationship between them so that the betrayals can happen uh, and eventually the face-off over the world championship can mean even more. Right. Well, I mean, they, them too was, that technically was the first ever feud we also saw in AEW. Right? Where it was supposed to be Hangman Page going after Kenny Omega. Uh, am I getting confused? There was something where... Because didn't he face Kenny Omega for Hangman Page to be the champion? To be the number one contender, rather? Yeah, but it was a friendly feud because they were members of the Elite together. Uh, okay. So this can be a rivalry. But that's that's one of the things I hope for. Is is First, I hope it's long. I don't want it to ha- you know happen overnight. But the build to it, long-term storytelling, and eventually Hangman Page rising up from the ashes and beating Kenny Omega for the World Championship. Uh, uh, a title two years in the making for Hangman Page. That's something that I want to see. Yeah, and I don't think you have anything to worry about there. AEW has proven that they know how to build long storyline feuds. Moxley Omega, um, you know, so they the only one I could think of, uh, but FTR Young Bucks, you know, they, although that technically started way before AEW, but them bringing it back there, um, you know, so I don't think AEW has any issues with making a long-term story feud. They have faith in their fans to, you know, stay in touch. And the way that they do it as well, I think allows us to still be uh, connected with it even if it's a year long like we remember because of how sophisticated it is as well and um so uh i i don't think AEW has any issues with that wwe should maybe take pointers in that regard for that because they they definitely do that really well um and that certainly says something for a company that has yes only been around for you know two years but uh, you know, they have over 20 years of experience uh, or more, depending on which wrestler you're referring to, in terms of how to build great storylines. So uh, they're certainly doing something right there. And this last year for AEW has been nothing but success, even with uh, a pandemic. So mm-hmm. um, trying to think another thing that I'd like to see for this future, uh, Thea Trinidad and AEW. You're gonna That's have to Selena Vega. Really. Oh, my bad. Um, yeah, uh, I have this weird suspicion that she might not want to do wrestling anymore, though. I don't know. Like, I'm getting this um, this vibe. I we just saw a rumor of a lot of superstars potentially not even wanting to resign their WWE contracts just because of everything that's going on with the company whether this is a true rumor or not 
I still think it's very believable. Um, you know, WWE going crazy with the social media accounts and all that, and you can't have this, you can't have Twitch. Da, da, da. So I don't know. I just feel she's being put off by it, and she doesn't want to cause Alistair Black perhaps to be punished any more than he already is being. Because I feel if she does go to AE Dubs, forget about it. Alistair Black is never getting a push. But at the same time, that just means he can leave when his contract is up. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's the deal is, is I've heard the same reports of uh, WWE talent not wanting to re-sign. Uh, a lot of speculation is that they don't want to re-sign right now because they think once COVID's over and touring starts happening again and crowds start coming back, that they'll have more leverage for re-signing at that point, get better money there. Um, they also want to keep their options open because, again, they've got legitimate other options now that two years ago they didn't have. You know, if they signed a three-year contract three years ago, they didn't have AEW as an option. It was Big Dog WWE or Little Dog, right? Now they've got an option. Might not pay as much as WWE, um, but it's got a, a relatively secure situation right now. is not going to vanish overnight. Um, they've got a TV deal that gets you as about as much exposure. They've got a fan basis that loves them. They're a growing company. They've now seen how they treat their, their employees during tragic times. Um, that's a big thing there. So they know that they might have AEW as an option. They also know that Impact Wrestling is is getting a little bit of a resurgence and that that might be an option. So um, I think a lot of it, though, is just them keeping their options open. They don't want to re-sign now if their contract's not up for six months because a lot of the reports have been saying that, uh, that WWE's been trying to re-sign people early right now, that their contracts aren't up. They're just offering them new contracts now. Oh, okay. um, and that these people are choosing not to sign new deals until their contracts are up, which is actually the best you can do for your own leverage, right? I don't care what uh, organization you work for. If you're contracted for two years, uh, your contract's up in six months. If you think that you might have more leverage by not resigning now and resigning closer to the end of your contract, by all means. Hold off on re-signing until your contract is up. There's risks to it, because if you get injured between now and the end of your contract, you might not have as much leverage for re-signing your contract afterwards, right? Right. Um, it's a risk, but there could be a bigger reward to it. I think Zelina Vega wants to wrestle. I think she's sitting out her 90-day no-compete and um, she will sign with a company of some sorts at that point. I think she will put it in her contract that she can continue to have her Twitch stream and her OnlyFans and her TikTok and whatever else social media she wants. Um, and that's AEW has been 100% fine with their contracted wrestlers doing all of those things. So, right. um, and Impact's been fine with most of it. I don't know if Impact has to had to deal with an OnlyFans yet, but um, considering Impact's presence is heavily on Twitch in and of themselves, I think uh, they see the value of allowing their wrestlers to have Twitch streams and go from there. So um, I just think, you know, again, I'm talking about things I wish for this year, whether it's realistic or not. 
I wish for, you know, I hope for Tia Trinidad, Selena Vega in AEW. I think she would be a huge get for the women's division. Um, yeah, she would though, for sure. Uh, and I'm not even talking specifically talent, because I do think the women's division in AEW has a lot of talent. Uh, but presentation is the other thing that the women's division in the AEW is still learning the ropes when it comes to TV. Most of the women's division in AEW, until they signed with AEW, had never been on a TV show before, right? True. Yeah. Uh, Zelina Vega comes with years of experience of dealing with television audiences. Um, that's that's something that you can't put a dollar sign on. That's a huge deal. So that's another thing that I just hope. Yeah, like I say, these are hopes and dreams for this year. Hopes to make things better. Um, that's something I hope hope to happen. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I like. I don't know. I I don't. I just. I I honestly don't know what else. I to be fair, because um, I know they are heavily limited on what they can do. Because I think a lot of their um, a lot of their judgment calls on, you know, who to push and so on do come from the fans. Um, so, obviously, they're not going to have any audiences this year. I, I don't see that happening. Uh, but perhaps implementing some sort of Thunderdome with, I don't know, voice recognition. You know, building something like that. You're going to have to invest into something to try to get your fans also more involved, too. Um, and I 100% like right now, if if there was Vegas bookies offering uh, bets on live audiences coming back to wrestling, I'd put a ton of money on fall. There will wow. be live audiences in wrestling, full full stadiums in wrestling by fall. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, it, it will happen this year. There still will be limited number of shows because, like I said, there. Uh, None of the companies are going to be doing. I think maybe limited shows. people. I don't think you're going to get full capacity by fall. Oh, I 100% do. I I think they'll they'll just will be testing, and once the vaccine starts to, to emanate out. And here's the deal: is you know we talk about the vaccine uh, not being till April or whatever, but when you add in the fact that uh, the U.S. is soon going to have three separate vaccines available, uh, the Moderna one the uh, AstraZeneca one, I think, and the um, Pfizer one that's currently out. With three different vaccines, and there's a fourth and a fifth one in testing still, um, as they get approved and and distributed, that's going to exponentially raise the amount of people getting vaccinated. And there's going to be a point. We don't have to get 100% vaccinated. In fact, once we start to get to that 50% range, things will start opening up fast. Even though we haven't reached the herd immunity of 70 to 90%, once we get that 50%, I think things will start turning around almost immediately. Like I say, by fall, I I 100% expect to see stadiums with football next fall, Mm. uh, baseball stadiums, you know, uh, and then basketball next season will be with with full crowds. I I would put all the money I have on that. And he's not a betting man, folks. I'm so not willing to put money on it. That's uh, shocker. 
But that's the deal. That, 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 I, is, I don't want to be a negative, Nancy. I mean, of course, I hope you're right. I hope we can do it by, you know. Um, but it, we'll, we'll see. I mean, of course, anything can happen. Uh, it is certainly an improvement with all these vaccines being released. I uh, mean, and- here, here's the deal. Keep in mind that AEW currently has limited number of fans at their shows. I think they had the most fans at the Brody Lee tribute, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of fans there. Um, and so, uh, and part of how they've been doing it is their shows are outdoors, which for lots of COVID mitigation me- measures, outdoors is better, right? Um, there's reports that they're going to move uh, to Southern uh, Florida. Like, I don't remember if it was going to be the Miami or the Tampa area, Miami. Um, which, which would give them even nicer weather for outdoor shows. Um, so... So that'll be fun, interesting to see. But no, I, you know, uh, I would say September or October will start seeing full-on live shows. Um, and- so to everyone who's listening to this, if this doesn't happen, DA Vince at at DA Vincent KV, uh Wow. <laughs> at Ron Order WBU. Although I will point out, this is a side note. Uh, DA Vincent Kayfabe did tweet the other day. Oh. Yeah, buddy, he did. Oh, wow. He tweeted last Wednesday, and I quote, It's Wednesday. You know what that means. Ah, uh, uh, nice. I mean, hey, if he's going to Oh, tweet. and then he also tweeted uh, two days ago, It's the new year. You know what that means. Nice. Paying homage to AEW. He doesn't tweet much, but when he does, his tweets have a purpose, ladies and gentlemen. But so in the end, um, those are some of the things that I look forward to this year. I'm trying to keep it realistic, but I those are things that I think will happen and I would like to see happen. Um, I look forward to this year because I think this year will be a big year for wrestling in many ways. I looked forward to 2020 for a lot of the same reasons, but COVID came and kicked us in the nuts. So, <laughs> right. Uh, but you guys get a new president this year too. So let it up. See how that is. Unless the Republicans can overturn the election on Wednesday. Uh, all eight. Hey, you heard him on that tape. All you, all he needs is eleven thousand and some odd votes. Oh, there. Oh, I love being an American. I love being an American. I love being an American. I love being. I have to remind myself that sometimes when. Republicans do this shit. You can't remind yourself of that when you're speaking with a Canadian. Because <laughs> free Medicare. Whoop. Yep. Anyways. But no, I just I look forward to some good things this year. And I I would like to put this out to our listeners. Tweet at us at Ron Order WBU or at JLB420. Let us know what you think good things are gonna happen this year in wrestling um is the fiend finally gonna be the uh the fiend that we want him to be is wwe gonna allow him to be the fiend that we want him to be that would be really good you know uh or give us you know storylines certainly you would like to see uh whether it's completely off the cuff you are the booker let's say you know what i mean like what stuff would you like to see WWE do this year? With whom? Um, you know, will it be Big E's year? Will it be Keith Lee's year in the main roster? Um, let us know. I I'm I was very lame with my idea uh, of just getting the younger stars pushed. Um, that clearly needs to happen. But uh, will this be the year that RJ City gets signed to AEW? I'm just 
thrown that out there because I'd love to see RJ City and Aida. Or there's a guy that just left ROH. Um, no, we are not going to see Marty Skrull in AEW. <laughs> that is a given. That's a given. <laughs> um, pre-speaking out, maybe. Post-speaking out, no. Never. Yeah. He's going to have to show some some extreme empathy and and uh nah he's too much of a pr chaos i don't think it's gonna happen i i think i think maybe eventually if he shows remorse and goes to treatment and stuff like that but it's gonna be a long time before that happens right um but is is there a wrestler that you think is just waiting to to get his break in the big leagues and where would you like to see them go these are things I'd like to hear from because I I know like I say RJ City, RJ City absolutely cracks me up uh, on Twitter, and I just want to see him in an AEW ring on the regular. Um, there have been some some people who've gotten tryouts for AEW that uh, I would love to see come back. I'd love to see Warhorse get another match in AEW. Um, I think he had his match with Cody. And I don't know if that was the best use of him. Yeah, they kind of just didn't do anything with him after yeah. that. Was so, it a time off thing, I guess? I think well, I think it was kind of a tryout. And and because it was during Cody's open challenge thing for the TNT title. Uh, I think it was them just kind of playing with the letting independent wrestlers come in. But I, I would love to see him come back. I, I think it would be fun to put him in the ring with some of the like more character-driven people in AEW, like a Darby Allen or an Orange Cassidy versus Warhorse. I think would be a ton of fun. Right. Uh, yeah. But uh, like I say, uh, you know, uh, RJ City is a, a guy I'd love to see in in the AEW ring. Um, I th- this is something that I. I think he would even say he's not ready for, uh, but from a PR standpoint, um, I think this is a no-brainer, but it requires uh, easy travel from the UK. Simon Miller from What Culture in an AEW ring. That's something I want to see. Simon Miller with who? From What Culture Wrestling. Oh. <laughs> you don't watch What Culture? I don't enough. Uh, you need he does he does a, a couple reoccurring shows on there, but the big one he does is uh, ups and downs where he rates wrestling shows. So he did one for the the Brody Lee tribute, and it was it was all ups no downs. Uh, <laughs> but he uh, also in his personal video logs uh, documented his uh, training to become a professional wrestler, eventually leading up to actual matches as a professional wrestler um in uh defiant wrestling and in a couple of the other um independent leagues and is he ready for a full-time wrestling contract he would say no i think you'd be hard-pressed to argue that he is ready but would it be a ton of fun to see him in a one-off appearance in an AEW ring maybe a battle royal he shows up to be one of the entries <laughs> um, uh, just to get the pop and and get the PR from it. And that's what I think would be great. But Yeah, no, but he definitely would get a huge uh, pop for that, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, like I say, let us know what you think, what you wish to see this coming year. Be hopeful uh, because there's a lot of 
good things that could happen. Um, I also hope we don't have any uh, major current stars die this year. Yeah, um, please, like, it really, like, from now, I know we always talk about wrestlers and celebrities always uh, who have died and so on, but that's just because this is who we see, right? We see these people on TV, so that's how we kind of relate to them. Um, but yeah, just from just a standpoint of celebrities and and wrestlers who have died uh, in 2020 was just mind blowing, uh, and hopefully. Uh, you know, 2021 is um, a little bit more quiet in that front because too many people have passed away just from, you know, COVID and other in terms of wrestling, you know, overdoses and uh, heart attacks and um, stuff like that. So I just please, you know, um, be kind to us uh, this year. We we don't need to see anyone uh, we, we still don't technically know what uh, Brody Lee had uh, died from. Um, and, you know, hopefully they were saying it's non-COVID related, um, but it was something that seemingly, I guess, was un- unexpected, uh, even to him. But we don't know enough for that. So hopefully uh, we, we don't get any more like that because uh, that was very unsettling. And uh we us wrestling fans as well as wrestling families need a break from all this for sure but my my final wish for this year is that all of you listening uh have a happy and healthy new year as well um and you know selfishly that you tell all your friends about us and uh, (laughs) we get a whole bunch more listeners because it's 2021 our breakout year is that what you're saying yes 2021 yes. breakout year for Ron Order WBU. Um, I ideally we we had a ton of fun uh, at one point in this year doing review shows of all of the weekly shows. Um, I'd love to get back to doing that. It just became too much work for us uh, during COVID. So maybe once COVID starts to get a little bit over, we can get back to doing that. I'd love to do that. Uh, but let us know if that's what you want us to do by listening to us and sharing it with your friends. Um, on that note, we'll probably wrap things up for this long, kind of meandering look back at uh, the previous year. We've talked for a long time, and hopefully, um, you're still listening. It's joyful. Yeah, you're still listening. <laughs> but make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can. Uh, subscribe to us on whatever platform you use so that you get notified of all the new content every time we post something new. Uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Raw and Order WBU. You can follow DA Vincent K. Fabe at DA Vincent K. Fabe. Um, and you can follow JLB at JLB420 or Real Talk Radio is the brand at Real Talk Radio 8, anchor.fm slash RTR. Uh, I am having a Wonder Woman 1984 review being put up, hopefully tomorrow, uh, and also a Tenant tenant review uh, as well. So if you're a movie fan, uh, look out for that. If you want to hear my thoughts along with my guest, Mr. Hollywood, you certainly can and uh, should be a good time. Uh, Website's still not there, and I'm going to stop promoting it because I don't know when I'm going to get to it. Um, But yeah. 
that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So feel free to follow me on all those platforms um, at Real Talk Radio 8 on Instagram as well. And uh, that's pretty much it, good sir. And uh, you can head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash ronorderwbu. Uh, support us there for just three bucks a month. Get access to our Discord server. Technically, you can get access to our Discord server without uh, being a fan, but that gets you into a special segment on it. So um, you can see our Discord server. Link will be in the doobly-doos for that. Uh, link to the Patreon as well. And then if you don't want to do a regular subscription like Patreon, but you want to support us, we do have our merch store at shop.spreadshirt.com slash raw and order WBU. So you can head on over there. But again, merch link, all of that stuff will be in the doobly-doos. Uh, but on that note, um, we're going to wrap things up here. So thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Thank you.